Today on this episode of Going Deeper, we have our very first guest on the show with Melanie Morgan. Welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Becky is out of town today, and so we are, I just said, irreverent, because she is the Reverend <laughs> Becky Clark is on vacation. So so we brought in our, uh, I guess you're the pinch hitter, right? Lay theologian, to, Sunday school teacher. That's right, as we all are. Friend. Here. That's right. Uh, so, Melanie, thank you for sitting with us, and uh, we hope that we have a great discussion here. We are going to be talking about battle and treaties, treaties, and the day the earth stood still, maybe, maybe in just a moment. <laughs> Okay, so this week we are covering four chapters. It's a lot. We're at 9, 10, 11, and 12, which sounds like a lot until you realize that, like, back half of 10 and 11, you, we, our authors kind of hit the fast-forward button. And then 12 is really just kind of a... I don't want to gloss over it and not give it its due, but it's just... It, it like it synopsizes everything that's just happened with all the battles. So 12 doesn't get a lot of time spent with it, if I'm being really honest, other than to point out there's even more cities and kings listed in chapter 12 of what they've already taken than what shows up in 10 and 11. So 12 kind of goes fast. Not a lot of time spent there. It's the montage. It's the montage. It's the fight scene. I'm called back to Gladiator and the beginning and... <laughs> There's this great music playing. Yes, cue the music. So yeah, that's what happens. And and Joshua has a tendency, our author, whoever he is, has this tendency to slow way down at points and just line everything out. You had it with Jericho with days one through one and two as they're going around the city, and then six through three through six happen real fast, and then you slow back down for seven. And he does that a lot with this. So we slow way down for this story at Gibeon. You, you're still moving kind of slow for the day the earth stood still, or did it? <laughs> there are many opinions about that. That's our title for today. <laughs> <laughs> the day the earth stood still, or did it? And then once you start getting on a roll with the southern kingdom, it moves pretty fast. moves even faster for chapter 11 in the northern campaign. So it's just kind of, you speed up and you slow down for the important parts. and Speed up and slow down. So just starting with chapter 9 and the Gibeonites and how they are alike with Rahab in a way and yet different but but did Rahab falsify who she was no, no. she yeah. lied but she lied in favor of the Israelites she did and the Gibeonites specifically show up and lie to our people, uh, our Israelites. And so they seem to already have knowledge of what... So in Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. I've been all over the place in Deuteronomy, I think it's seven, where God specifically tells the people, do not make treaty with the people inside the land. You make treaty outside 
the Canaanite land, but no treaties inside the land. You are to take the land. And not that we necessarily kill everybody, like we've talked about in the past with that word harim, but making a treaty is different than just not killing everybody. Mm-hmm. And assim- you're assimilating people in, where with the treaty, they keep their land, that's their space. But as we'll see, as you see, as you dig into this, once the Israelites figured out the deception, they were somewhat enslaved, but they were enslaved to the Lord's service. It's it's a mm-hmm. fascinating development. The Gibeonites do call on Yahweh's name, just like Rahab mm-hmm. did, but it's almost, as one of my commentators put it, like um, flattery, as opposed to truly believing. Right. As is what... Mm-hmm. Rahab seemed to really have a handle on what was going on. Because, like, didn't Rahab use the Lord whenever yeah, I think she said so. it? And I think they say, the Lord, your God. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So I, she's, I did notice that. Yeah, so she, she kind of had a different understanding, perhaps, of who mm-hmm. Yahweh was. And uh, these guys have had the opportunity to see... All the things that God has done, including Jericho, they would have knowledge of that. Although it's interesting that when they talk about, we've seen what the Lord has done for you, they call way back. They don't talk about Jericho and mm-hmm. AI. Why would they? They're from a faraway land. They can't right. know about that. So, I mean, they're True. really good at their deception. But um, the, their calling on of God seems to be less about what God can do and who God is and more of a flattery will get you everywhere kind of things. So. But isn't it interesting how, uh, clearly, I mean, in today's day and age, if you make an agreement with somebody and you find out that they have completely falsified everything Mm -hmm. that was the basis for your agreement, you're like, nope, null and void, done, done. we are over with this, but the, the honor that is in, or, or the, I guess, the seriousness that mm-hmm. the Israelite people and the people of the, we're still ancient Near East, I think, mm-hmm. technically yeah. called, they really value this idea of covenant mm-hmm. to a huge degree. Mm-hmm. And so even though, like, yeah, we get it, you lied, but we still made covenant with you. So we're going to honor it. Right. But now we're going to alter the deal. Pray we don't alter it any further. <laughs> <laughs> Where you just went, Kyle. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> I, I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt for yes. the people listening at home. Right. And <laughs> drinking out of your Star Wars mug. Oh, it is Darth Vader. It is Darth Vader. Um, yes, so we and we have an interesting opportunity for a loophole that shows up in chapter 10, even. Okay. So the agreement was we won't wipe out your city is not necessarily that we'll come to your aid. But now we know from a suzerain vassal treaty that if the vassal calls on the suzerain to come to their aid, the suzerain is supposed to come to their aid. Now, I'm sure that didn't always happen, but in this case it did, and it kicked off the whole southern campaign, really, when they came to Gibeonites, the Gibeonites' aid. So they even had a chance, really, to back out of the deal even further and say, well, we didn't promise to come to your aid, so we'll just see what happens with these five southern kings and their five armies, and if you're still standing, good for you. If not, well, it saved us the trip. You know, it's... 
they had a chance for a loophole and they didn't take it. Mm-hmm. They could have bailed out of this deal multiple times and they didn't. And you kind of get the sense that the people with that word grumbling, they grumbled against their leaders that they were perhaps even pushing for. Mm-hmm. Y'all should have never made this treaty in the first place. <clears throat> why are we, why do we have to uphold it? And the leaders, man, they know they've done wrong. It's like, no, that's not how you do other people in an oath. We took an oath. We took the oath in God's name. That means something. Yeah. We need to keep our promises. So, yeah, they messed up big time by not seeking out God. And you just keep expecting them to. Like, they keep asking the question, but how do we know where you're from? And like really good politicians, they dance all the way around the answer <laughs> and never actually say where they're from. See, come look at the bread. It's terrible. It was great when we first set out. Like, they just, they're really good at their deception. And you just, you keep thinking, Joshua's going to get there. He's going to get there. He asked him again, where are you from? But how do we know? You know, like, he's this skilled military leader and still just. Right over his head. Totally misses it. He's like, right there. You got it, Joshua. Oh, no. Oh. Not supposed to make a treaty, but you can make a treaty with the people outside the land. So you got to give them that. I mean, the Gibeonites were good. Yeah, they, the Israelites are allowed to make treaty with anyone outside of Canaan, but not inside. So Gibeonites mm-hmm. come along and say, "We're from outside the land, but we're afraid of you." So make treaty. But that's with us. it's very interesting the tactic that the Gibeonites take because mm-hmm. how would they have known? That all we have to do is say we're from outside the land. That's a good question, and I don't know. Um, but they, they do seem to have that understanding, or else why would they yeah. harp on it? And, and maybe they just maybe they just took a stab in the dark and said, these yeah. guys seem to be after this land. Let's just say we're not so from here. So they were willing to take, yeah. trying mm-hmm. to figure it out, I guess. Yeah. And it's not three days later they're found out. Yeah. And so it's it's interesting that the the curse levied on them puts them at the very altar of God day in and day out. They are woodcutters mm-hmm. and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. They are they are tending to they are tending the altar. They are they are tending the Levites who tend the the altar is what they're doing. They're providing everything needed for sacrifices. So how interesting now that even though they deceived, even though they were cursed, the very curse brings them physically closer to God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they can see the full magnitude of who God is. How interesting that that's where they end up. There's a lot you could do with that. Yeah, That'll preach. But not me. and so from there we we get the the moving on of the uh the king of jerusalem Mm -hmm. um heard about ai and they destroyed it and then it hears about the people of gibeon making a treaty of peace and onward we go yeah i guess uh i guess the spy network was pretty active back then because how else would all of them hear about this? You know, the word spread pretty quickly it to did. all the other cities. It did. And it seems like, because you get at the beginning of chapter 
at the beginning of chapter nine, mm-hmm. you have that everybody had heard about these things, and we assume yeah. it means Jericho and AI. Yeah. And all of both ends of the map are stirred up, but really not together. The northern kingdom isn't down south conspiring with the southern kingdom. It's more likely that they they both just had the same idea of they're headed west. Mm-hmm. This is not good. And so they're already starting to talk amongst themselves about how to stop this thing. They, they've already picked up on it. And so then you get in chapter 10, who in the southern kingdom were talking together. And who in the, and really with chapter 11, the way I read it is that like you're picking back up where we left off at the beginning of chapter 9. So you've got the southern kingdom talking about it amongst themselves mm-hmm. and making their packs together to launch an assault on the Israelites. And at the same time... You've got the Northern Kingdom having these discussions. And I don't know if this point, before the Northern Kingdom really marches on, if they know about the treaty or not. I can't remember if it mentions it. I don't think it does. So I don't know if they knew about the treaty or not, but they certainly knew about Jericho and AI. So yeah, the yeah. spy network is alive mm-hmm. and well. Um, moving rather quickly. Yeah. you have gotten all the way up to Hebron, or, or not Hebron, uh, Hatsor. Hatsor. Or so that one translation for that word is castle. Interesting. It was quite big, mm-hmm. is what I've been reading. Is is yeah. Hasor was big and it was wealthy. Yeah. And interestingly enough, spoiler alert, the Hatsor is the third city we know of that was completely mm-hmm. to the full definition of Kharim, it was Kharimed. Everybody's killed, it's burned to the ground. Yeah. Excavations of Hatsor have found a a destruction layer. Yeah. that would have lined up with one of the assumptions of the time that this mm. happened. So while we don't get to know about it in Jericho, we know it in Hatsor. It's there. Yeah. So there's there's a layer, a burned, destroyed layer to the city that they have found in excavations. But it was quite wealthy. Yeah. So, uh, but all the wealth in the world didn't save them, it, did it? And my supposition uh, from several weeks ago about or mm-hmm. uh, I believe is, is accurate in that it was a royal city in Palestine. Mm-hmm. And that would, in turn, likely make it a military center as well. Mm-hmm. And therefore, yes, you're going to have civilians. You're going to have the, the supplemental economy mm-hmm. behind it. Mm-hmm. But it's all pretty much going to be geared towards serving the military and royal uh, outfit right. at that, that city. Sense. And uh, I, I go back to uh, the the cities that were utterly destroyed, mm-hmm. utterly desor- destroyed, uh, were largely military encampments, mm-hmm. and, and that was their main focus. That seems to be it. And a lot of a lot of what we see through these battles is um, they are field battles. That they, they are happening. Like they chase, for example, after they just beat them down in Gibeon. The southern armies take off running, and they chase them down. So a lot of those battles, and in the north, happen out in fields, which means all your casualties are warriors. Mm-hmm. That doesn't—I mean, it doesn't make it any less. Woof, that's rough. Yeah. But still, it's when when you decide to go to war, you expect to lose some men, and that's mostly what we lost in these types of battles, anyway. Right. So. Man, I wish I'd made it to chapter eleven in my pre-reading. Chapter eleven is quite a quite a fast forward. Yeah. It, it starts by 
talking about Hatsor and all the cities kind of that it's almost like they make a shape around Hatsor with it in the middle, which mm-hmm. if you're, you know, you're talking about a military outpost, that would kind of make sense. Coming together, having this discussion, they have chariots mm-hmm. and horses, which is something that we haven't heard about since Pharaoh chased the people down to cross the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. We didn't really hear about this in the southern kingdoms, but we have it up here. I thought it was interesting that they specifically mentioned the chariots and the horses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the chariots and horses show up here, and notice that God's people are like, yeah, okay, God gives the command, which is, as as a person who loves horses, it's hard to hear to hamstring the horses and burn the chariots. We just, like, kill them quickly with the horses? Can we have to hamstring them? That one's one of those tough things for me to read. But, um, yeah, and they have no problem with carrying that out. But in other areas, you, you just get, like, a, a chapter or two into Judges, and they've got horses and chariots. We can't take this land. <laughs> so what What changed? And a fascinating thing about horses and chariots, it's one of those things that God specifically laid out. When you take the land, when you get in there and you're settled, eventually you're going to take a king. God knows everything, doesn't he? Yeah. Do not keep horses like a massive of horse and chariots for yourself. Don't amass all of this wealth. Don't amass a bunch of horses because it's power, mm-hmm. and it's leaning on that instead of God, I think. Instead of trusting God to take care of you, militarily speaking, you're relying on the horses and the chariots, which when we get to that chapter in Judges, that's they, they see these horses and chariots and, I think, weapons made of iron, and they just, they're petrified mm-hmm. and they can't handle it. What a massive change we have by just... Maybe one generation, if that. It's not mm-hmm. far. Yeah. So, it's fascinating. Maybe <clears throat> God needed to make the sun stand still again. Or did it? So, and we'll get into so, this Thursday. Go ahead. I, no, I'm, I'm really very interested in your, your whole, or did it? Okay. You got a, do you have a map? <laughs> I do have a map. All right. Let's find a map of, see if you can find you a map of... The conquest of Canaan. It's in the way back. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if mine has well, both cities. The conquest cities. of Canaan, right there. Uh-huh. No, this one doesn't. Okay, does one of yours have the Valley of Ajalon? Probably. Mine does not. Yeah, uh-huh. Okay, it point it is, out to me. It is to the west of Bethel. Mm-hmm. And where is Gibeon in relation? Uh, Gibeon is, I don't know. It's east. There's Gibeon is over here. That's Gibeah. It's Gibeon. Oh, Gibeon, right there. Okay, yeah. Just south of Bethel. Okay. So, you know, southwest of Bethel. So if the sun is in the east over Gibeon, that puts the moon in the west. Where does the sun rise? In the east. So it would be morning in Gibeon when he made this prayer. Okay. How does he know he needs a full day to accomplish this? How does he know a full day won't be enough? to accomplish this. Why would he need to know in the morning that he's not going to have enough time to accomplish what he needs to accomplish? So the book of Jashar, Jashar, Mm -hmm. I still have a lot of questions about this book. Here's what I know. We don't know when it was written. 
We don't know what happened to it. It's gone, completely gone. Somebody a while back tried to falsify a version of it, but it it's gone. Joshua seems to quote it here, but my question is, and maybe somebody listening from home will know the answer to this. So please comment. Which which came first, Joshua or Jashar? So what I can't tell because our author is after the fact. Hmm. Was Joshua's prayer taken into the book of Jashar? Or was Joshua quoting the book of Jashar and inserting the names Gibeon and Valley of Ajalon into his prayer to God that, God, let there be enough day to accomplish what we need to accomplish. And somehow, some way, because God is amazing, they accomplished all they needed to accomplish before the sunset. Or did the day really stand still? I think this may be one of those things uh, as the good John MacArthur no one is good but God himself Indeed. so that was a little bit of a hyperbole <laughs> um, my MacArthur study Bible notes What's he, say? he said in effect that some people say this some people say that mm-hmm. some people say eclipse some people say oh yeah there's lots of you theories know, you know darkness whatever but then he says that such ideas fail to do justice to 10 12 14 and needlessly question god's power as creator in if you think that i mean i completely agree well you know how i am right. i don't need an earthquake to explain right God yeah. stopping up the water. At my well, that was the first thing that I thought of too. Yeah, because it's like I don't want to question it. Uh huh. Yeah, but it's still, did it stop or did it just feel like it stopped? Right. That's a little extraordinary. Um, not to say that God can't do the extraordinary. Mm-hmm. I tend to fall back on God created the laws of physics. Sure. For his purposes, and since as the creator of the laws of physics, he can suspend them for a time Absolutely. if he so chooses. Mm-hmm. And so there's nothing to say that he could not have done it. Yeah. But I completely still, agree. I mean, I mean, if there was a big bang, it's because God said bang. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know me, that's how I roll with this. But I thought it was interesting that that point out of mm-hmm. when... When he says this prayer, it would have been early day. Yeah, and mm-hmm. how did he know? How would he know? But, I mean, maybe the conquest looks so big because Gibeon is so big and there are five armies there. Maybe mm-hmm. he's standing there thinking, if God doesn't intervene, there's no way to get this done. Because it, when night falls, you gotta, you got to assume when it comes to military skirmishes, the night's going to work against you. Mm-hmm. If you're winning, it would give the other side time to... Maybe amass more fighters, get you know some rest and be fresh for the next day. And if you're already got them on the run, you're going to want to finish the job. And besides that, this is where I mean God shows up in a big way uh, beyond that because isn't this where He throws down hail? Yeah, yep. it was right before that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I've like read so mm-hmm. many battles all together. Yes, yeah. yeah, it all. It's apart. right before that the miraculous stones of God. Yeah. 
sometimes when I read the MacArthur notes, I just yeah. have to read it in that voice. The miraculous stones of God. <laughs> They're hail, which apparently was well known for back in this time. And one of my commentators must be rather British because he said it was well known that hail the size of cricket balls fell cricket back balls. Then. Yeah, yeah, I don't Whatever. <laughs> That's about the size of a baseball or a softball. Somewhere. In That's there, big know. enough. If it knocked you it in the head, probably it hurt. probably hurt uh-huh. in a minimum, if not take you out completely. Which is just fascinating. They... More people were killed from hell mm-hmm. than were killed by the sword. So Again, we have God winning the battle. Indeed we do. Maybe there were more instances of holy war beyond mm-hmm. Jericho. You know, we kind of yeah. mm-hmm. buttoned it up there originally because that's where the ark was and the priests were in the battle and that felt very much like, I mean, God took the walls yeah. down. But, you know, God's obviously here in the midst of this. So, did this? did the day stand still? It could have if God wanted it to. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That would have been awfully interesting to experience the earth stop rotating. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, that kind of helps gravity and all. It's true. <laughs> gravity, your oceans. That's a good point. Yeah. But as you say, God's in charge yeah. of physics. I'm going to make it do this thing for today. Okay, go. I don't know. <laughs> Let's was, see what happens yeah. here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, God does stand outside of time. Yeah. It's... So, I don't know. It's an interesting thought. It is an interesting the, thought. I guess the, the comment that I would have is, did it have to happen? Do I have to believe that it happened literally for me to believe that God could have done it? Mm, I don't think so. No. It's almost, it's, it's just as incredible in a way to imagine that in a single 24 hour, less than 24 hours, really, mm-hmm. God took out five armies. I mean, mm-hmm. that's pretty impressive. But so is stopping the earth from spinning. So, you know. <laughs> I mean, choose your miracle. Yeah. What, a miracle happened here, I mean, regardless. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm I'm really good either way, because whichever way you look at it, God is in the middle of it, and God is all powerful, and yeah, like you said, miracle. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Have y'all, did y'all read about what? Joshua did to the five Amorite kings. Mm-hmm. Tell me how you did with that. Hmm? How did I do with that? Uh, ruthless. Right? Mm-hmm. But That I was mean, one of those things that was kind of tough to read. You read it? Yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Stand on their necks. And he killed them. Put them up on a post or a tree or a pole, whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, after that? the horse thing, like, this is... Yeah. I don't think we've gotten to the horses yet at this point. Yeah. But, I mean, like, you kind of get the horses after you see this, don't you? We're really back and forth. Yeah. yeah. 11, 10, 10, 11, 12, It maybe. all kind of rolls together. But, yeah, it seems pretty ruthless. Joshua is <laughs> on a roll here and mm-hmm. seriously makes an example out of these guys, doesn't he? He does. But that's, militarily, that's what you mm-hmm. did with the kings, right? Well, it's true. And, in fact, if you think that's gruesome, you should hear what the Assyrians would do. <laughs> The Assyrians yeah. would impale alive entire armies and put them up on posts in the sun. Comforting thought. Right? <laughs> so they'd be impaled upright on a pole, 
was just left there still alive to die that way. That's what the Assyrians would do to an army. Mm-hmm. Five well, guys who were already dead before they were put on the pole? Kind of sounds merciful by mm-hmm. comparison, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, hang them on five trees. They were hanging on the trees, trees until evening. Yeah, yeah that's what mine says. Poles. And then he put them back in the cave. And oh, let's see what... Uh, <laughs> they even kind of got a burial, if you think about it. I mean, he could have left them there for the vultures, but instead he took them down and buried them in a way. And then there's <coughs> he reminds them again, be strong and courageous. Mm-hmm. And then isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Because in, the, all, in, in that moment. Yeah. And all along, that phrase has been told over Joshua. Like Moses said it to him. God says it to him. The people say it to him. And now he's saying it to the people. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. I just find that interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to put it right there. Yeah. Almost like, I know this is difficult, but yeah, this is where we're going. Right. It's almost like Joshua has that insight from God that says, hey, we're about to do a lot more stuff. Mm-hmm. Remember this. Mm-hmm. And remember that God took care of us through this. So be strong and courageous tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the yeah. next battle and the next battle. Yeah, because it was after this that they really went, started going through the southern cities mm-hmm. and conquering, montage taking right. that land. It's, yes, we have our southern campaign montage right. at this moment. So <clears throat> we just moved from city to city. Everybody's put to the sword and we move to the next city. And if mm-hmm. there's still a king in the area, we deal with the king. Because yeah. once you cut the head off of the... Of the king, of yeah. the, you know, the apex, the rest of it kind of will d- devolve from there. So you might not necessarily have to kill everybody in the city if you take out their king. At a minimum, you're going to throw them into chaos until they can bring somebody else in, which seems to be like what's what happens in Jerusalem. They have a hard time with those Jebusites mm-hmm. in Jerusalem. And it, it shows up more than once as having to be uh, retaken. So I think we see it again in Judges, and then David still has to go. When David becomes king, he still has to go clean out Jerusalem before he can set up in there. So, anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, they move through the southern campaign from there, and it is almost small in comparison to the northern campaign northern campaign to me seemed even larger right. so if you weren't able to get to 11 that is a lot of people listed in just the first few verses mm-hmm. yeah that all come together to this one location and god's just like by this time tomorrow you'll have slain them all i mean the i've got two little maps here in my notes section and the southern campaign is very condensed it's a very small mm-hmm area mm-hmm. um i mean we think about when we we read about like the dead sea mm-hmm. and uh, all yeah. the the lands and everything we think you know in our very american context oh i'm gonna travel from you know louisiana to wyoming and uh, yeah. no it's more like we're gonna travel from baton rouge to denim springs <laughs> or we're gonna travel from ruston to to calhoun right. to downsville you know and that's right. 
That's really what we're dealing with in the right. southern kingdom, the we, southern campaign. Yeah. But when, then, with no horses, you're not yeah. going anywhere fast. Yeah. But the northern campaign, it's like, okay, you're in Ruston. Now head head to Little Rock. Yeah. You know? It's a much <laughs> larger stretch for sure. I mean, the whole of the of the Canaanite land is rather small, which one could point out when you go back and see what was promised to Abraham mm-hmm. versus what they finally settled in. It's much smaller. Yeah. So they never actually, in my opinion, based on what I've read, fully took the land anyway. But it's still, while it's a small land, it was a much larger swath. And there were mountains, though, when you head north. Yeah. Which might have been... Golan Heights and everything. Yeah, there's mountains up there, which makes it a little more difficult, especially on a horse, I would think. A horse and chariot over mountainous range, which might be part of why it made it... Not so difficult for them to do what was asked of them with those horses and chariots. Mm-hmm. Being more, when you're on foot, you're more agile. Mm-hmm. So, okay, Marie, take us through the northern conquest. Oh, okay. I think we're ready to hit that. Okay. Well, so <coughs> of course, our northern king, uh, the Jabin king of Hatsor, is the instigator here. Whereas mm-hmm. it was our king of Jerusalem last time, right. and Hatsor is like we said earlier, much much bigger city. It's very wealthy. It's got a big army, and it calls in all these other guys. If you go all the way down through verse four, I think you get out all of who's coming along for this ride. Um, but God is telling Joshua, "Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. This is what you need to do." And so we have obedience yet again. It's funny how this book moves from obedience to disobedience. Yeah. Obedience, disobedience. But look at how well it goes with them when they are obedient. Mm-hmm. So they they come up to the waters of Merim, 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 yeah. which mm-hmm. my map has sure. a question mark at two different locations that it could have been. One is very close to the Sea of Galilee and one is a good deal further north. Okay. Who knows? Uh, and they they do exactly what's required of them. There's no survivors. They hamstring the horses. They burn the chariots. And then Joshua goes and ca- goes to Hatsor after that. And he Hatsor is the instigator. He takes them down immediately. It's a big city, but he kills the king and he burns the city. He completely harims the entirety of the city. So nothing left alive that was breathing and uh, burned down, which is the last time we see in the book of Joshua that anything like that happens. Interestingly enough, Jerusalem is burned in judges, and you would think it was complete cherim, but you turn around and have Jebusites back in there. Okay. So, so let's, let's yep. real quickly talk about the hamstrung, the horses. Okay. Uh, I'm seeing this. It doesn't kill the horses, it makes them useless for battle. I get that. I, what a what a miserable thing to do to a horse, well, though. Well, you would say that the horse is going to recover, and the horse is going to live out its life as a horse. Okay. But it no longer will be able to serve a purpose as an instrument of war. That makes it, sense. It won't have to serve its masters as an instrument of war. It will be a horse. It will happily... I mean... This is what I'm seeing here. Okay. They they basically, what it says is you're cutting the sinew or ligament at the back of the hock on the rear of the leg, which crippled the horses, making them useless. 
So the horse will be able to recover from that. Maybe. If I'm wrong, please let me know in the comments. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong, <laughs> you, you veterinarian people out there, because I don't know. But I would imagine that the, the horses would lose a great deal of strength doing this. I wonder if they could so, still plow a field. Yeah, maybe. I mean, utter uselessness. I mean, it's definitely a part of Israelite life that mm-hmm. if you're useless, you are either left for dead or your dinner. I don't know. It's Maybe they just put them out to pasture. Uh, maybe so. <laughs> Turn them loose. Which has its own set of meetings. <laughs> Take that however you will. Right? Hmm. Trip works with horses. He should know, right? Yes, Melanie. Ask your husband. Ask that. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, oh, well. mm-hmm. I'm curious. We'll follow up next week. Yeah. Trip said that. <laughs> Anybody know it's Trip? Uh-huh. So uh, from there, he's your, ne- he's your next guest speaker. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. It would be fun. That would be fun. Um, I wonder how many tripisms we could get out of that? Oh, the possibilities are endless. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> So we go from there, Hatsor's burned, to yet Israel did not burn any of the cities built on their mounds except Hatsor. And the Israelites carried off for themselves all the plunder and livestock of these cities, but all the people they put to the sword until they completely destroyed them, not sparing anyone that breathed, except when they did. Um, but, it's, you know, one of the things that were promised to the people when they took the land was that you would occupy cities you did not build. Mm-hmm. So they can't just burn down every city they come right. to. The Israelites need a place to live. But Hatzor, as a probably military central point in a very rich city that had a lot of things, fortified walls and that kind of thing, it would be easy for an Israelite to settle in there and become dependent mm-hmm. upon their four walls and their military horses and forget about God. I would venture to guess that it's also probably the site of plenty of uh, idols. Yeah. And that's also not good. Yeah. we And we haven't really talked about it, but yes, we are still dealing with the Canaanites. We remind ourselves that the mm-hmm. Canaanites were not nice people. Mm-hmm. They had lots of, you know, very, mm-hmm. very ruthless practices amongst themselves. Yeah. And so, it, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's not forget, they were sacrificing their children, burning them Mm -hmm. alive, folks. It was disgusting. And not at all what God had in mind for his people. And and I go back to that whole idea where when God makes these promises to Abraham, it's that eventually the whole idea was for all of creation to know and follow God alone. Those who... Bless you know those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be cursed and it was mm-hmm. the intention was never for just everybody who didn't believe in God to just die I mean God wanted everyone to know Him and He was trying to but in taking this land that was meant to be a sacred space we have to drive out false deities and we have mm-hmm. to sanctify the land and turn it over to God and. But I think there were room for those who called upon the name of the Lord to be assimilated into the culture. They're everywhere. We have all these laws about foreigners and sojourners and how to treat them nicely, by the way. We know they didn't utterly kill everybody. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would venture to guess that the people who were put to the sword were those who pushed back against the Israelites, which in this case, you're pushing back against God. 
at that point. Mm-hmm. So that's my I have an interesting, another interesting linguistic parallel uh, because I knew I had seen this before uh, because we did Leviticus a while back. But in Leviticus 18, um, the, the fated chapter, uh, in verse 21, where it says, You shall not offer your offspring to Moloch. Mm-hmm. Um, that Moloch, it's. Here it, it's kind of insinuating that it's their their false deity, whatever. Mm-hmm. But then you you flip over to Joshua, and they're using a very very similar word for king. Mm. So all of these kings of Canaan uh-huh. are, according to the Canaanite people, I would I would assume are <clears throat> these. God kings, like you see yeah. <clears throat> in Egypt and whatever, and yeah. and so these would be the same people that are sacrificing their children to Moloch, the God king, who is. And so, would yeah. you not want to take these guys out? Yeah, Look, our God just killed your God. Yeah, yeah, that's a good I mean, point. I know that's. We it's, go back to Leviticus 18, and <laughs> it always kind of makes you shudder. It does. It's brutal what they, I mean, their own mm-hmm. children. Good yeah. grief. And imagine being a child raised in that land and seeing that going on without you, how corrupted your mind must become. Right. Oof. Mm-hmm. And honestly, chapter 11 kind of rounds things out. Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. War is essentially over at this point, yeah. and we've still got the whole back half of Joshua to go. And chapter 12 is a list of the defeated kings, and a keen eye will notice there's a whole lot more kings listed there than what was mentioned in 10 and 11. Mm-hmm. 10 and 11 is like hitting the fast-forward button, mm-hmm. right. flying through the wars and the battles. Um, and the whole rest of the book deals with Settling into the land, who gets what, really not even settling in. You you have to push all the way into judges to really get to all that. But mm-hmm. who gets which pieces of land, what happens with the Levites. Mm-hmm. So you, we're at the halfway point here, and it's a good place to kind of stay, take stock of where you've been before you move ahead. And uh, you really see the major theme of obedience all the way up to this point yeah. anyway. And one of the big themes of the whole book, what what you're capable of when you're obedient yeah. to what God calls you to and what happens when you're not. Mm-hmm. So, and really this the that sin of Achan and how far it carried out. Yeah. Because when they start seeing I don't know if the northern king knew of the treaty or not, but the southern king did. Mm-hmm. And he saw what was going on. So that treaty with Gibeon, Gibeon was huge because it encompassed four cities. Another thing the Israelites didn't realize until they got to Gibeon to find out what was going on. And it turned out it was only like three miles away. Um, it almost, between Jericho, AI, and the four cities of Gibeon, you almost cut a line across the entirety of, of the land of Canaan. You almost get all the way to the shoreline of the Mediterranean Sea. Not quite, but mm-hmm. almost. And when you've got trade routes running north to south, yeah. it's mm-hmm. a big deal that they've made that treaty. So, yeah. 
Interesting. Mm -hmm. But you got to figure. Man, those Gibeonites were smart. Because you got to figure that's probably where Joshua was headed next. I mean, it makes a lot of sense that they came in where they came in at Jericho and started just immediately pushing straight across. Makes it a whole lot easier to divide and conquer. I wonder if that's where that came from. Mm -hmm. Head south to the smaller region and then push north to the larger region. Right. Well, it's pretty much a straight shot north along the, I'm going to assume that's the Jordan River. <clears throat> I mean, they're Probably. basically traveling mm-hmm. the uh, West Bank, mm-hmm. I think, for a second, yeah. of the Jordan River all the way up from the Dead Sea, mm-hmm. the Great Salt Sea, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, they they stop at Beth Shan and mm-hmm. do a thing there, apparently. <laughs> And then they go up to, <laughs> of course, in my Bible, it says the Sea of Chinneroth, which is the Sea Mine of Galilee. Mine says Chinnereth, but the Galilee and, is in parenthesis. Right, yeah, that's right. the Sea of Galilee. Um, Dead Sea has a different name, too, back then. It's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. There's a lot less that actually happens in the north, I think, because it's all spread out. Because it's much more yeah, mountainous. mountainous, yeah. yeah. Can't really... Melanie, you need to go to Israel. Oh yes, we're going soon. Oh, this is happening. Okay. <laughs> so you can, so you can see it. I, I know. Uh huh. <laughs> yep. You and sure. I get this peer pressure a lot. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. We're very good at peer pressure. We are. <laughs> I know. Trust me. I know. <laughs> so you're in that chair. Uh-huh. That's right. Uh-huh. Really. Mm-hmm. You have to push it all. No, mm-hmm. I volunteered for this. Yes, you did. I just didn't realize it was going to happen so fast, and and yet here you. Thanks, are. Becky, for going on vacation. That's yeah. right. Uh huh. Well, so did anything as you were reading through nine through twelve, mm-hmm. and seriously, no pressure. Did anything jump out that we haven't already covered? Any questions that pop? I don't claim to know. I don't know anything. Um, I read a lot of commentaries. <laughs> I pray. I pray a lot. I am a laity. I, I'm nobody, but I can read. That's that's what I claim to know. Uh, the one thing that I really question, and you kind of answered it earlier about making the treaties mm-hmm. outside of the land. Uh-huh. That was the kind of only, because I was like, we made this treaty and then that's it. We're just moving on with our lives. Like, right. We get no backlash for this, but I didn't realize. Yeah, that there was definitely some, there was sort of backlash. But it wasn't what I... Like, as I was reading, uh-huh. I was just kind of waiting for bigger backlash, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't... You were expecting God to have a bigger reaction than he had. Right. You know what's interesting? Like we were saying, the covenant, they were... They made the covenant in his name, and they didn't break it. I, I don't know. That was the... That was... Yeah, you expected God to have a bigger reaction when mm-hmm. he specifically said, don't do that. Yeah. And and what's interesting is, we had not heard from God since eh, the Battle of Ai. Mm-hmm. God is strangely quiet at this point. We get the... Uh, there might have been some discussion uh, with the covenant renewal Mount Ebal. But from that point on, we don't hear from God again. Uh, 
until it's time to go defend Gibeon, if I'm reading that right. So God is strangely quiet in the midst of all of this. Israel does its own thing. It makes this treaty. And the putting them to work, that curse he levies about them carrying water mm-hmm. and woodcutters, and woodcutters water that actually has some foundation in Deuteronomy about something that you can do with foreigners that's acceptable to God. So Joshua, knowing he's messed up, he still doesn't ask God what to do, which I think is interesting. But he does fall back on what he knows of Scripture, which is an interesting kind of nod for us yeah. of when you feel like you don't hear God in the midst of this because maybe you cut him out fall back on what you know of his character so mm-hmm. Joshua knows that this is one of the things you can do with a foreigner is have them devoted to the wood cutting and the water that is used for the temple used for the altars mm-hmm. and so he's falling back on what he knows of God to try to make this thing right and I would imagine when Gibeon calls on him for battle help we're under attack. Josh was thinking, oh, no. We've gone and made this treaty. We shouldn't have done it. Is God going to be with us? And now here's God coming back in saying, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Okay, so I, I had kind of missed that bit about the woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for mm-hmm. the altar of the Lord. I missed, totally missed that. Uh, when I was reading through that, that, yeah. that it was for a uh, priestly purpose or yeah. a religious purpose. Yeah. So, so they are—they're not slaves to the people; they're slaves to the Lord. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Which if I'm be, go New Testament here. Paul says, you know, be slaves to yes, Christ, he does, doesn't he? Or, That's a good point. Yeah, and thought about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and grace. Even Indeed, in the midst of a yeah. curse, there is grace. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But that that Old Testament God, he's so mean. I know. He never did anything nice. I know. Have you read the Old Testament? There's so many places where you can find grace in the Old Testament. That'll preach too, Kyle. But yeah, you, so God has been quiet through all of this, and then he shows up after the Gibeonites call on them to come. They send word... So Joshua, it's verse 7. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. And finally, God speaks again. We haven't heard from him since Ai. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Mm -hmm. So they went and made this treaty. They shouldn't have done it, but they made it in God's name, and God backs them up. Yeah. And that's right before God does the hail thing. Yeah, he is there with them in a big way. Potentially, he he sends hail, the earth stands still, Mm -hmm. maybe. And, I mean, God is there in a big way. I'm just going to say it. The earth stood still. Why not? Uh-huh. I'm going to keep in line with, with my beliefs. So all now every time I read this, I'm going to like read maybe in my maybe. head after it. So I'm, I'm going to go for it. It stood still. The earth stood still. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to be consistent. God said bang. God tore the walls down. God stood the water up in the Jordan River mm-hmm. without an earthquake. Yeah. Sure, the earth stood still. I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. I'm good with that. But I love that. So I do love that God does show up in the moment before battle. Mm-hmm. I'm still with you. You did all that mess on your mm-hmm. own. I'm still with you. And God, you know can take what we messed up mm-hmm. 
and use it for good. I mean, it just kicks off the whole Southern campaign, and yeah. God is with them. All right, character of God moment here. Okay. And we're, we're going to go back to something that I said in a previous week where, you know, you're, you're praying all the time and everything. Like, oh, God, tell me which restaurant to go to. And it doesn't matter. God's going to show up when it matters. <laughs> You know? It's always there. He's always there. Do you but... know, one of my commentators picked up on that very thing. Yeah? Yes, and mm-hmm. said um, his comment to that, for people who pray for all those things, if that's yeah. what you do, that's fine. But yeah, his comment no to that was, that. we are called to lean on the everlasting arms, not mm-hmm. wilt in them. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was like, ooh, that sounds good. I like and so, like so I think this is just a reinforcement of the character of God, yeah. that God will make himself known at the right time, at mm-hmm. the right place, and all we have to do is listen. Yes. And if we're like Joshua in this, and we actually trust that God is who He says He is, mm-hmm. and that we are who God says we are, uh-huh. and we believe that, then we can, in fact, be strong and courageous. courageous. Indeed. Indeed. It's good stuff. There's yeah. so much good stuff here. I know. I mean, you... You think that, oh, you're just going to, you know, take all this stuff, you know, go montage mode like we've been saying. On. <laughs> I love that idea because, you know, the filmmaking I know, you right? know, technique of set it all up, set it all up, big thing, then get to the end. Or, or like D- Doug says, you know, more than three coughs in a minute and I'm headed straight to the benediction. <laughs> so this is what the, the biblical writer, he heard some coughs. Yeah, and he heard yeah, some, gotta, he heard some holy up. mints getting opened up. And he's like, oh, I got to get straight to the benediction here. <laughs> Not even halfway through the book yet, author. We got to figure out the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. All right. So things we can take away from this. God is God and the earth stood still. Maybe. Maybe. If we are obedient, uh-huh. I, that, that, I think obedient. obedience is my, one of my biggest takeaways. Yeah. Is you know, and and you can very easily walk a very short distance to the New Testament where Jesus's call on us is, "If you love me, you will obey my commandments." Right. And that very tight bond between love and obedience, and you know, we all know people who've gotten caught up in a relationship where the person claimed to love them, but the way they treated them was very, very poorly mm-hmm. and one that did not speak of love at all. Love has definitely got a verb aspect to it. So if you love God, He loves you enough to put these parameters around your life that He's going to give you these commandments. And if you love Him, you will obey Him. God said it. Jesus said it. It is a thread that runs throughout the Bible. And what blessing we come across. Yeah. If we do. And and in the everyday stuff, we don't have... When you get to the Northern Kingdom, there are no grand miracles there, folks. It's just Joshua and the army carrying out what they were told to do. It's the obedience and the everyday. Granted, that everyday was war, and we don't know or understand that in our day and age. But we are involved in spiritual warfare every day. And so, what a what an example to us is Joshua that in our day-to-day trudging through the battles of life if we will just stay obedient to who we know God to be and what he has called on our lives all the ways he will show up if we are willing to notice it so there's some good New Testament stuff yeah. in here for sure Yeah, it is that common thread mm. 
Well, I think we're kind of at the conclusion of our discussion today. So if you're listening or watching out there and you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe in all the places you find your podcasts. We are now on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon, Podbean. There's probably more out there. I can subscribe. Yes, we're on. uh So we, we have all those. We're also on YouTube. And if you're on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe to the Trinity channel. And you can ring the bell. That's what all the people tell you to do. Ring the bell. Get notifications when we post a new video. They're going to only get more interesting from here, folks. I guarantee you. We'll try to make it interesting. That dividing of the land can get kind of... So bring your your water. It's going to get dry. (laughs) Melanie, thanks for being here. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you all for letting me join. This was fun. This was fun. All right. We will see see y'all in the next episode.